Mac Power Users, episode 360, Workflows with Charles Perry. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. We've got a great guest today, and I want to introduce you. I want to introduce you to him in a moment, but before we do, we've just got a little bit of business to cover. Um, the uh, the two things. First of all is the Chicago meetup. It's it's happening. We've already had people sign up for it. It looks like we have enough people that we're going to pursue it, but now we need to figure out how many people are coming. So uh, we will uh, put that Eventbrite uh, link in this week's show notes. And if you missed last week's show, it's going to be on March 15th in Chicago somewhere. We've got a couple locations we're already looking at and, um, we want to know how many people are coming. So we've got this Eventbrite uh, invite, go ahead and sign up, please. If you're serious about going, if you're just thinking about it, don't sign up because we're going to make decisions based on how many people sign up. And and once we announce the final details, you can still prob- probably sign up later. We'll know. But but right now we need a pretty solid head count. So it's going to be the evening of March 15th in Chicago, probably downtown. And uh, we hope to see you then. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, and secondly, following up on the idea of the Facebook groups for Mac Power users, we're making it official. Um, my wife is helping out with this part. She's getting the, the Facebook groups going and we're going to have it live by the time this show goes live on Sunday. Is that okay, Katie? Can I say that? Or am I in trouble? Well, you're, you're, it's your wife, so you tell me. I'm committing. <laughs> you're the one who's committing her. I think the way we're going to do it, we want to be very inclusive, but we also don't want all the spammers to get in and mess it all up. So you're going to have to request um, entry into the groups, but basically everybody's going to be admitted. Um, the uh, But we're going to make it go through that one step. And uh, we're going to have that live by the time the show goes up. And we're going to try and develop something there. And Katie and I are both going to be uh, semi-active in it. I can't say I'm going to be there every day, but we're all going to try and pop in and, and build a community out of it. And to those folks that are in the Mac Power Users Google Plus group, we're going to set up details in the Google Plus about getting you over to the Facebook group. And uh, so just be patient with us there. And we look forward to seeing that happen in 2017. And do I have any other announcements, Katie, or have I hit them all? I think you've got got the big ones. Okay. Uh, So uh, I'd first like to welcome our our guest to the show today, Charles Perry. Charles, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Now, gang, Charles is many wears many hats. He is a developer who has an active business where he makes software and sells it. Um, and he's got tons of things he's doing for his small business. He's also the organizer of the Release Notes Conference. Well, him and along with his partner. And he's a podcaster with the Release Notes Podcast. Now, you may not have heard of the podcast, but it's a great one. It's a podcast about app development that is about everything except the code. Is that a fair uh, statement, Charles? That's our tagline. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they everything except the ones and zeros, but there's so many things involved with running um, a, a business that sells software. And they, they came up with the idea of doing this podcast, kind of giving people tips about everything from how to set up your business and what do you need and all the little problems you run into. I, uh, they also do this conference every year called the Release Notes Conference, where it's the same idea, where they have a bunch of developers there. And I had the privilege of attending last year and talking to the developers a little bit about setting up your corporations and your contracts and all the legal mumbo jumbo. And I was just super impressed with a couple things. The first is 
I can't get over how organized the conference was. Uh, uh, I've spoke at a lot of conferences. I've never been to one where everything just runs like a Swiss watch. And these guys really do that. So I want to hear how they pulled it off. The other thing I couldn't get over is um, throughout the conference, I would hear this infectious laugh across the room. <laughs> and <laughs> it was Charles. It's just this, the nicest guy. And he has got so much together. And I said, we need to bring this wisdom to the Mac Power user. So, Charles, we're going to be picking your brain today about how you make all this stuff happen. Is that okay? That sounds good. Thanks for saying such nice things. Uh, the check is in the mail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, uh, and also uh, the shameless plug, the uh, the Release Notes Conference is going to happen again uh, in 2017. I know that when this show goes live, uh, it will be public, the date, and we'll put a, a link in the show notes. So if you are a developer, uh, I really couldn't recommend enough uh, this conference. It was so fun. Uh, everybody there was super nice, and it was super informative. Just uh, some amazing speakers, uh, present company excluded, <laughs> and the, uh, <laughs> the uh, and just they they developed the conference in a way that um. Can, do you know the location yet, Charles? Yeah, actually, it's going to be up in Chicago. So um, we're going to have to compare notes after we get done recording, so we can uh, talk about venues and stuff because I've been doing a lot of research up there. We were just going to ask you if you had a spot you could you could lend us for a while, but all right. <laughs> but but they, the nice thing about this conference is they have really good speakers, but they also have gaps in between the speakers. And one of the things that Charles said at the beginning of the conference is, I don't want you all to sit with the same people for every session. You know, I'd really like to see everybody moving around and everybody took it to heart. And you made so many good contacts if you're in the software development business. Uh, this is a great place to be. So anyway, enough of that part. Let's start talking about um, how on earth you went from a guy who makes a podcast to a guy who puts on a, a very successful conference. Uh, well, that's a very good question. And I'm I'm uh, not really sure how it actually happened, other than I really like to have people get people together. I'm a social person, and this seemed like a really good excuse to have a party. So... <laughs> We, uh, we've, we've done, you know, I, my partner, Joe Chaplinski and I, um, both attend a lot of conferences and, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about attending conferences is getting to meet new people. And I've, I'm, I'm sort of the self-appointed social butterfly of, of the group. And a lot of times, as I'm sure, uh, many of your listeners who are themselves developers or who know a developer, uh, will know is that sometimes developers can be a little bit introverted and, um, not always the easiest people to get to come out of their shell or to go approach somebody. And uh, I am not that way. I'm a pretty extroverted person. And so I always sort of um, make it my business to uh, come up with dinner groups and stuff like that and sort of put out an open call for people who want to go get a beer after the last session is over. And after a while we had built up an audience on the podcast and seemed like a natural extension to sort of take that uh, social organizing and sort of organize it with uh, the audience that we had developed. Um, little did I know that they are really not on the same scale at all. <laughs> it's a, it's a whole different ball game when you're uh, trying to uh, organize an, a full fledged conference uh, with venues and contracts and, and having to feed people and, and things like that. But um that's probably a good thing I didn't know. I don't think anybody would get anything done if they knew how much work it was going into it. So it's worked It's worked out. <laughs> it started with an idea. So we've got this successful podcast. And wouldn't it be nice if maybe we could get these people all together? 
And then how did you decide, okay, well, we're actually doing it. Did you, did you, did you get like, uh, did you probe your listeners? Did you get a group of people together and like have a, a core group of people committed? Or did you just take like a leap of faith? Cause that, you know, that first year, nobody really knows are, are people going to come? It was, if I had to categorize it, I would say it's closer to the leap of faith end than the other. I mean, we had, we had an idea of, you know, obviously we have an idea of how many downloads we get. So we have a sort of a, a basic idea of, of what our audience size is. And we sort of, so we kn- sort of know what our reach is. Um, and we know that the, the Mac and iOS development com- community in general have a history of attending a lot of conferences. So we know a lot of people in our, in our audience are very interested in attending conferences. So you know, really it started off as sort of a leap of faith. We had batted it around for probably a full year before we actually committed to it. Um, sort of thinking about, you know, what it would look like, whether we wanted to do it. And we actually deferred it for a year the first time because we just weren't quite sure that we had the audience that it, we needed uh, like for, for our mailing list, for instance, to be able to reach enough people to attract whatever percent it takes to, uh, um, you know, buy out a venue. So we deferred it for a year and we kept kicking it around, but it, it just felt like the right, the right next step for us and, and our essentially a business. I mean, at the time it was more of a, a hobby than a business, but it quickly became a, a full fledged business. Um, so we, uh, we kicked that around and we sort of decided, you know, you know, to, to go for it because there really were a group of people that we wanted to have um, on stage and be able to sort of share their knowledge with people that we just couldn't get to happen on the podcast for whatever reason. And it's also a whole different thing because a lot of what happens in any conference setting is not just what happens on the stage. What happens on the stage oftentimes is just a conversation starter for all the pe- members of the audience because, because the, member of the members of the audience have a lot of knowledge too and a lot of wisdom. They have a lot of experience in what's worked and what hasn't worked. And we felt that if we could get the right speakers on stage um, to sort of um, get people thinking and then create a space um, for conversations, sort of people coming in with the mindset that, okay, we're going to be talking about business type things. Um, that's not really a space that exists anywhere else. And we were, we were hoping that if we could make that happen in the right way, that we could create a little bit of magic. And as it turns out, I think we, we managed to do that. I've, I've been really happy with, um, the response we've gotten from our guests. And I think a lot of our, uh, attendees and speakers have really gotten a lot out of the experience of attending and, uh, getting to share their, their stories and their ideas with their peers. I mean, it absolutely works. I, I sat at a table with, with Rich Siegel from BB Edit and Greg Pierce from Drafts and all these guys. And we weren't talking about ones and zeros. We were talking about how do you make a business work? You know, how do you deal with the way Apple thinks about app developers? And everybody at that table was learning so much from these guys who had been in the trenches for so long. It's just, a, it's a great, it's a great experience. But I, I'm kind of curious because Joe, you and Joe are in two different cities. Um, yeah. And, and so he's your pie. It's like Katie and I, Katie's in Florida. I'm in California. We, we see each other every blue moon, but otherwise, you know, we kind of do everything remotely and that works okay for a podcast, but putting together a conference like this, I mean, and I know that all, not all our listeners are putting together conferences, but I mean, the types of organizational tools you'll need to do this could be useful in a lot of situations. So, so as geeks, how did you get started on this road? Well, as far as, you know, sort of the, the organization and staying coordinated part, there's a lot of similarities to our, to our situation to remote workers. I mean, 
that's essentially what we are. We are remote from each other. We don't have a centralized office and we dial in to the virtual office, mostly on Slack, uh, when we need to communicate and coordinate. And I think like a lot of, a lot of remote workers, Slack has sort of become the, the central focus of a lot of the work we do. Um, so we, we do have a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in Slack. We have different, uh, channels for different topics, even though it's just us, um, we try to break it out into, uh, we have like a podcast, uh, channel. We have a conference channel. We have an advertising channel and we try to keep our conversations quarantined to the right, uh, the right folder so that we can go back and find them and find the context that they existed in, uh, if we need to go back later. Um, the other big tool that we use is Dropbox. We have a shared folder that uh, we put pretty much everything in. Um, anything that that would exist as as a as a file or would in a traditional office be printed out on paper ends up in that in that Dropbox folder, so that we can um, have a central depository, essentially, of uh, a trusted a, a trusted repository of where we can go back to find um, different documents that we need. Yeah, one of the tricks when you're doing that with a team, I think, is you need to have a reliable backup system in place. Um, I mean, you and Joe are smart guys, uh, but it's, it's, if you if you have a team and not everybody is a super nerd, it's possible that they'll start yanking stuff out of those shared folders or deleting files because they think they're they're done with them. Mm. Um, so uh, that's a good way to go about it. I do recommend that if that's what you're going to do, especially if you've got non-nerds on your team to have a very reliable backup as you put it in there. I know you can unwind those things in Dropbox, but it just makes me nervous sometimes giving somebody the ability to like delete the folder. Yeah, that's scary. I mean, that, and that's one of the things we've had to do is trust each other, but more than trust each other, we had to sort of come to consensus that what we would each do, what we each would not do. We've we've essentially um, have different areas, different spheres of, of responsibility that we've d- divvied up over the years. And I know not to go messing with any of his design work, for instance. I wouldn't dream of going in and deleting a, anything that looks like it might be a logo. It's, I'm not going to touch it. I'll, I'll ask him if he needs it, and then he can take care of it if it, if it looks like it's spare. And likewise, he wouldn't he wouldn't touch anything that looks like it might be a spreadsheet or a budget. Um but by by having sort of a uh, a little bit of separation of responsibility that way, it helps to eliminate some of those issues that you talked about. Um, I don't think we w- we personally would probably get into those situations anyways, just because with a small team of two, it's pretty straightforward to uh, know whether something's needed or not. But uh, nonetheless, I think that you know, sort of dividing those responsibilities has helped make cleaner lines between what each of us can and well, not can and can't, but should and should not do. It's so much easier now, though. Katie, remember when we first started the podcast? You had your sock on the door method. Yeah, <laughs> we had a. I had a text file. I would put in any any folder we were working something on. I, I'd put a text file in there. If I put a red, if I made it a red flag, that would mean stay out of it. And then uh, when you're done editing the file, then turn it to a green flag so the other person knows they can go into it. Oh, geez. <laughs> are those synced across in Dropbox? Those flags. Uh, I think this was before Dropbox. I, I don't even remember. Yeah, no, that's what we're doing. Or we just said open or closed or available or not available or whatever. And then inevitably oh, wow. one of us would forget to change the text file and <laughs> insanity would, would ensue. So much easier now, but you're right. So, so that's interesting, though. I've, I've never heard uh, – we've talked – You know, we always dance around the subject of Slack on the show. Um, a lot of small businesses are using it. We're hearing from increasingly from listeners who have like insurance businesses who are using Slack now. 
So it's it's becoming a thing. So in terms of organizing the actual uh, conference itself, I mean, so you've got, uh, I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying this, but you've got venue, you've got speakers, you've got budget, you've got food. I mean, I mean those are probably just a few of the hundreds of things that, that you've got to organize. Are you setting those up in Google Docs or are those just files in, in the Dropbox? Or does, do you kind of separate and each take responsibility for various things and then check in? Um. We don't. We do a combination of text files, um, spreadsheets when it's appropriate, and separation responsibilities. I mean, for instance, I am in charge of pretty much anything related to logistics. So, uh, venues, food, audiovisual, um, all of that stuff ends up on my shoulders. Boy, you got the short end of that stick. Well, <laughs> well, I. I we we play to each other's skills. Let's put it like that. I, I uh, without minimizing uh, Joe's skills with uh, organizing, because he's certainly capable of taking care of himself. Um, I think those probably play into my skill sets a little bit more than they do his. Uh, on the flip side, I couldn't design my way out of a paper bag. Right. So <laughs> he is a designer by trade, and so he takes care a lot of all the. Um, the all the slides that go up on screen and doing the the design of the visual design of the website and the um, the badges and the slides on the screen and things like that. He also um, takes care of coordinating um, pretty much everything with speakers as far as, you know, getting W9s and getting uh, invoices taken care of and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we, uh, we have a division of labor that, that seems to work pretty well. Originally as a, as David said, the the conference was in Indianapolis, and since, since since that's where I'm based, the division of labor sort of was one of convenience to begin with, simply because I was in Indianapolis, and so it was a lot easier for me to deal with all the venues and and scouting locations and and all that kind of stuff. Um, now that uh, we're moving it to Chicago this year, um, it's not at, quite as convenient <laughs> as it, as it was in the past, but I have a little better idea of what I'm doing, and I've. Um, I think I'm able to sort of minimize the number of trips that are required. Joe and I took a big trip up to up to Chicago um, just before the the New Year uh, to sort of sort of look at the 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 final couple venues that we looked at to make a final decision and stuff. And that I think will probably be our our one time that we're both in Chicago together before the conference. I'll probably make one more trip up there as far as venue scouting goes. Um, but otherwise, we're going to be able to hopefully do most of this remotely. Um, it's a lot easier now that you know than it would have been, say, ten years ago or fifteen years ago, because we have all these restaurants that we're having to rustle up. All have websites, and so we can look at menus, we can look at ratings on Yelp, we can you know look at pictures of the decor on the, uh, that they post on their website, and not as much actual in-person stuff is required, other than of course tasting food, and that's probably what we'll do is make one trip up there just to sort of make sure that everything that we think is going to work out well actually uh, lives up to the hype that they've put on their website. Sounds like the best part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things they did is they organized it in a way that the attendees could eat together, which is really nice because once, once again, it, it creates those bonds. But just to toot, their, toot the horns of, of Joe and Charles a little bit and give you some some real world tips you could use. Um, one one thing I noticed was they had in between speakers, there's a nice long gap so people could talk about what they just heard and kind of like share ideas. And there was this really great slide they would have that would show how long until the next speaker. And it was very beautifully designed by Joe. And um, then 
they um and it had a countdown timer on it and i'm like i've never seen an app that looks that good and has a countdown timer on it and i had no idea how they were doing it and this is the guy who wrote a book on presentations by the way <laughs> and um i said joe what are you doing there and it was the easiest thing uh, what he did was he took a keynote presentation he designed the perfect slide and then he made um a countdown timer with seconds and minutes literally he duplicated the slide for every second and then he put the auto, um, the auto uh, advance, the auto transition on, and he got it figured out. So it's exactly one second. So all he did is play a keynote presentation with God knows how many slides in it that would count down, which is, it's a very um, kind of um, you labor know, intensive. A, a, well, it is and it isn't because once you got the slide done right, you just duplicate it a bunch of times. And then all you do is change the number. But, um, but once you and once you've done it once, you have it forever. In fact, I meant to. I need to get Joe to send me that presentation. <laughs> I'm going to like jump right on that. But I thought that was like super clever. And then so just that, so that's Joe uh, being Joe. And then the other thing is the projectors were super bright, and I couldn't get over because we were in a train station that had a lot of light in it, and I couldn't get over how bright they were. And then I realized there were two projectors pointing at the same space. And so Charles made in his, I guess your garage. It looked like something out of plywood and steel. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was shelving and uh, screw rods. There were half inch screw rods and nuts and washers and stuff like that. And so what basically what we did is, I, <laughs> the the core problem was that these uh, the the venue that we were in has these beautiful rose windows and they're like twelve or sixteen feet in diameter. They're just humongous. Um, and they're gorgeous, but at the pr- the problem is that at a particular time of the afternoon, the sun will stream in the window and shine directly on the screen. And we were warned by the facilities person that saying, "Hey, this is going to be a problem. If you want, if you want to set up the room the way you you're saying, you're going to need a very a, a, a really bright projector, like ten thousand lumens or fourteen thousand lumens." And we're like, "Oh, no problem, okay." Until I actually went to go look at what it cost to buy a ten thousand lumen or fourteen thousand lumen projector. It's like, "Oh, that's a big problem." There's a lot of zeros in that number, so we ended up uh, uh, doing a little bit of research, and I found a technique called stacking, which apparently is a a very well established uh, technique in the AV industry. Uh, they just usually have custom built rigs to do it, and the idea is that you stack two, literally stack two. Uh, projectors one on top of the other and then adjust the 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 lenses so that the two projected images exactly coincide um down to as fine as you can get it and by making these rigs um my buddy Tim Ritchie who lives nearby and has better power tools than I have uh helped me put these together by making these rigs that have uh holes screwed into the corners to sort of let you adjust their height and but and then uh, the the projectors themselves actually screwed into the bases. It allows you get very precise uh, positioning, and you can get the the two images to line up almost perfectly if you uh, once you have enough practice getting the, the images aligned. And it makes for a really bright image uh, that um, can first of all, I guess, overcome the power of the sun, but also gives you a little bit of insurance because if you have a projector go out, you're still going at least to, you're at least going to have five thousand lumens left over from the projector that's still working. So that was always that was a little bit of a comfort too. Desperation is the mother of invention, so we uh, it, we we did what had to be done within the budget that we had and, and made it work. So and I, I think it turned out very well. I got a lot of comments from uh, from people who actually like you didn't realize that we had two projectors going. Um, so it 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 uh 
I think it fooled a lot of people and, and gave us the, the effect that we wanted. So I was pretty happy with how it turned out. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Ministry of Supply. Dress smarter, work smarter. Get a free pair of smarter dress socks with your first purchase. I know a lot of people listening to this show spend a lot of time every week in work clothes. And if you're like me, you always look forward to getting home and putting on something comfortable. Well, why can't you wear something comfortable at work? Most dress clothes are restrictive and unbreathable, not to mention by the end of the day, they're all wrinkled too. This is what Ministry of Supply fixes. They make performance clothes for the modern day workplace. Launched by MIT engineers, Ministry of Supply combines human-centric research, performance technology, and tailored design to create where-to-work clothes for men and women, like dress shirts, blouses, and pants. Their garments work with your body to provide maximum comfort, combined with features like temperature control, wrinkle resistance, and extreme stretch to give you a sharp, professional look all day long. Why not put science on your back? And that's what you can do with Ministry of Supply clothing. The Ministry of Supply's Future Forward dress shirt has NASA-invented fibers that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings. Work is hard. Why shouldn't your clothes be working for you? When Ministry of Supply first signed on to Mac Power users, they sent me a free shirt to give it a try, and I have to admit, I'm super hooked. Since then, I've bought several more shirts. I also have some of their sweaters. They're just great clothes. I really like the way they fit me, and I like the way they breathe. Every time I'm going to meet a client or go to a fancy pants meeting, I wear my Ministry of Supply clothing and I love it. They even now have smarter dress socks that are made of coffee fiber that wicks sweat and absorbs odor. I'm going to get myself a few pair of these as well. They provide extreme cushion with more padding than gym socks. I'd never been super picky about my dress clothes because I never really cared for them that much. Now I am. These Ministry of Supply shirts and sweaters look really good on me, and I love the fact that they don't get wrinkled. But don't just take my word for it. Give it a try. They've got free shipping, free returns, and a 100-day, no-questions-asked return policy. Learn more by going over to ministryofsupply.com slash macpowerusers. You'll get a free pair of moisture-wicking smarter dress socks with your first purchase. So go to ministryofsupply.com slash macpowerusers to find out more or visit any of their nine retail stores and locations, including San Francisco, Atlanta, and Chicago, and tell them you heard about them on the Mac Power Users. So Charles, I've got some questions about how you set up and how you figured out the content of the uh, the conference itself. Did you, Especially the first couple of years, did you figure out you know, who you wanted to speak and then just let them come and talk about whatever they wanted to or kind of what their normal shtick was? Or did you did you assign topics or did you really figure out these are the topics that we want to cover and then go out and pick people and assign them particular topics? Or, you know, how did that all work? Because it seems like you've really carefully crafted your conferences to hit specific points and and to cover, you know, what you wanted to cover. A little bit of both. We, uh, we have an idea of the sorts of things that we want to, to hit on our stage. So we have an idea of the different topics. So we want some coverage of product work. We want some coverage of contract work. We want some coverage of um, just pure business topics. Like, for instance, uh, David talked about sort of the law side of organizing a, a business for us. And so we have ideas of the different topics we want to, we want to cover and we want a nice spread of, of all of these different things. We want, for instance, we want some iOS developers. We also want some Mac developers. So we want a little bit of uh, variety and diversity there. Um, 
after we've got that, it's a matter of, you know, sort of finding the right people for these different general areas. We don't typically dictate specific topics. Um, we instead pick people that we know are sort of comfortable within the different broad topics that we want and then let them pick whatever um, whatever specific topic they're particularly passionate about at that time or they think that would be particularly useful for our audience. So you, so you say something like, David, generally we want you to talk about the business side of iOS development. You've got 30 minutes, go. Yeah, I guess to start, I mean, we, we knew that David, we told David we wanted him to talk about the law side. That's the reason we invited him because he's a lawyer and he works with technology. Um, and then once we uh, we get somebody invited, Joe actually, as I mentioned, sort of handles working with our speakers. And so one of the, his jobs is to sort of talk to our speakers and keep keep in touch with them, especially as we get closer to the conference and uh, try to get um, you know, a better idea of what exactly it is they want to talk about, sort of guide them in, in the direction uh, that we think would be best. If, you know, if we think they're often left way out in left field, we're going to try to guide them towards something that we think would be more appropriate for our, our, our audience. Uh, but usually our, our speakers have a pretty good idea of coming up with something interesting that would be appropriate for our guests. Um, we do try to get our, I'm not sure how successful we were this last year, but we do try to get our, uh, slide decks a couple weeks before the conference begins. Um, we tell speakers like three weeks out that way we can, uh, take a look at, at the, their most recent draft of their, of their talk. Nothing's set in stone at that point, but it gives us a chance to sort of look over what they have, look at their flow, look at the quality of their slides. So we can make suggestions if, if there are problems in that, in that direction. Well, if David was presenting, I promise you that he was tweaking his slide deck right up until the moment he went on. And they all do. <laughs> we inevitably get, get uh, slide decks from everybody either the day before or the day of their talk. And that's okay. We can work with that. I mean, it's it's stressful for us because we have a, a pretty complicated AV setup that involves like, you know, four, I think we had four different laptops going this year trying to uh, do what, what it is we needed to do. Um, so we need to get them loaded onto our, our laptops and make sure that we don't accidentally keep one of the wrong versions of the of the slide deck around. But yeah, people are always tweaking up to the last minute. Yeah, like I, I had some custom fonts, so I was worried that, you know, because they, they, um, because the system is so complex, you don't, this was one of the conferences where you don't bring your own laptop and just plug in and run it. So I was sending it to them early because, and Katie's right, I was making changes up to the end. <laughs> but generally, I, I did want the, to know that the right fonts were installed and that it was working on your hardware. And, and Joe was great about that. Yeah. But that's the reason why we have the dress rehearsal too, is so that uh, the speakers can get up there and, you know, uh, I, on one one hand, is so that the speakers can get familiar with the setup and um, be familiar with the um, confidence monitors and be sure that they have an understanding of how things are going to be working for them when they get on stage. But the other, on the other hand, is for us so that we can make sure that we have all the fonts that we need, that we have the right version of the slides, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, practicing that kind of thing in advance before you have a, a audience of a couple hundred people. <laughs> goes a long way towards making sure that things uh, run smoothly, even if they don't feel like they, they would otherwise. Well, one of the things I made a suggestion to you of a, a, a category of speaker. I won't tell you, tell you who it is because it may actually happen, right? But a, a type of speaker that I think you guys should have. And you said, oh, yeah, we've been tracking that category since the first year and we just haven't found the right person yet. And um, so I'm guessing you're writing this stuff. How are you tracking all of these potential topics and, and speaker subjects? Well, we, we uh, work 
pretty extensively with text documents. And so we have a, a text document called speakerideas.txt. And as we go through, we just jot down either topics that uh, we think would be a good, a good fit or particular people that we think we want on our stage. And it's just a long, we, we have dozens of people on this list and not all of them are going to be able to be asked. It's just, um, but it, it gives us sort of a resource that we can keep putting into as the year goes on, even when we're not thinking about the actual actively recruiting speakers. That way when it time the time comes that we are recruiting speakers, we'll have somebody to go, something to go back to. Um, but we, uh, you know, we, we go, we get people from all kinds of places. I mean, from, we get, uh, we look, we find speakers on podcasts of people that we just happen to know in person. Um, we sometimes go out and, um, seek speakers from other communities, like as particularly from the software as a, as a service community, uh, they have more, a stronger, I don't want to say tradition, but they have more awareness of the importance of the business side of running a software business, I think, than a lot of uh, iOS and Mac people do for a long time. We were such a small uh, community of both developers and purchasers that, you know, for for years, if you had a great Mac app that was out there, people would just snatch it up because they were hungry for great software. And I think that may have um, made a lot of developers a little too complacent in that kind of stuff. Software as a service people, is, on the other hand, people on the web, they've been scrounging for sales since day one. And so they, they're a little more sophisticated, I think, in advertising techniques and in uh, looking at um, business models in advance and trying to make sure you're selling it in the right market and some of these other things. And so they have conferences of their own. Um, I look for the, the best speakers in those communities that I can, I can find and uh, sometimes invite them, you know, we also last year actually we found a um, a great speaker from a TED talk, uh, a TEDx talk that was down in Johannesburg, and uh, uh, Lita Soyazwapi um, is an iOS developer from Johannesburg, and he was uh, kind enough to take the long flight up to Indianapolis and uh, joined us on stage, and um, you know I think gave a one heck of a talk. I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, it was the highlight of of their uh, of the conference. Um, but you, we find inspiration for speakers in, in lots of different places and, you know, just keeping track of it until the time that we need it is, uh, is the, I think the main thing because you never know when the inspiration is going to, going to hit you. Um, if you forget it, then it was wasted. Now when you're running the conference and that's it where I got to witness you and Joe and your team, you know, uh, you guys seemed like you were very calm on the surface, but I got the impression there was a lot going on below. Oh, always. <laughs> So what technologies were you using to kind of keep everybody together in the midst of this, you know, major event? A lot of low tech stuff, really. Um, like I said, we had, we had a schedule already worked out that we wanted to, uh, we wanted to sort of stick to, but the, the trick to making everything seem like it was going on schedule is you mentioned before that we had long gaps in between the speakers. And, and part of that was because we wanted to give people an opportunity to talk about the speaker they just saw and have conversations about their businesses and share their, share what they've learned and what uh, in their career and stuff like that. But the other part was just purely practical that if we had long, long gaps, we didn't have to worry about running over. Um, we could just eat, eat, three minutes, eat five minutes out of that, out of that gap between speakers. And we are all of a sudden right back on schedule. And so by sort of doing sort of engineering in enough time in between into the, into the schedule, we were able to at least give the appearance that, you know, things ran like a switch, a Swiss watch, even though it certainly did not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, beyond that, I guess, I mean, you've asked how exactly we track that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
you know, like I said, we did have a schedule that was set up and we had um, sort of our master schedule was a, a text file in, in Dropbox that we operated out of. And then from that Dropbox, um, sort of the representation of that schedule got it created in uh, mostly through Joe's work in Keynote. He's the one that created all the different slides that uh, we use to sort of the inter- the intermission slides and then the countdown slides um, for each of the talks, for each of the food breaks, for snack break, for end of the day, for the beginning of the day. Um, he took that uh, sort of complicated schedule and then turned that into the um, – the, the set of slides that we needed in order to uh, make sure that the, the audience was, was on the same page. But you guys were also using the heck out of Slack that week. Oh yeah. Yeah, we were, that's true. Uh, and we use that mostly with the staff. We, we sort for staff communication, we did sort of two things. We started each day with a staff meeting uh, at about nine uh, thirty, about a half hour before the guests started showing up. And we went over the schedule of the day. And then once the, everything was running, we uh, used Slack for, um, um, for staff communication, that was another one of the channels we had. We also used Slack for communicating with the guests as well. So, I mean, like when it came time to uh, go off to the different restaurants and stuff, we made sure that people could coordinate that way. We, if, if there was a change, um, I think one day we actually, we decided at the last minute to put in, um, a, a breakfast, uh, because, uh, we were informed that we had some more money that we were required to spend as for our, our contract with the venue. And so we're like, oh, okay, we'll feed people. So that wasn't originally planned. And so we uh, sort of distributed, sort of distributed that knowledge to the, the audience on Slack. And since we had all, actually all of our guests in a Slack channel that they were using for sort of the, the back channel of, you know, talking about where they were going to go get a drink or eat, or if anybody had an idea about something, um, that was one of the uses we put it to put the the Slack channel too was sort of sending out uh, messages that were time sensitive that about changes and things like that. You mentioned staff, but release notes is really just, you know, you and Joe, how do you staff up for an event like that? Um, a lot of volunteers basically is what it boils down to. We, we both know a lot of people, um, through our business, you know, our different business dealings through um, different like Cocoa Heads groups in uh, Indianapolis where I am and the Philadelphia and, and New York Cocoa Heads where Joe's active. And we have people that we trust. And so basically what it boils down to is we're able to um, offer discounted tickets to our friends if they'll come and, you know, give us a little bit of, little bit of labor. <laughs> so we had, I mean, Joe knows some, knows some folks that, and I, actually I know some folks too, that we've, we're able to, to trust with the AV responsibilities. And so we put them at the AV table. We had some other people that were in, in charge of um, essentially prepping each speaker before and after they um, took the stage or left the stage and, you know, making sure they were mic'd up and that they had their badge taken off, that uh, they were ready to go, that they were staying somewhat calm. Um, and then we had uh, some other, I mean, other staff members whose job was simply to uh, make sure water was staying filled and things like that. Um, actually one person in particular, I mentioned Tim Ritchie before, and he's sort of one of the unsung heroes of the, of the conference because he actually, although he's not a part of the business per se, he's in our Slack. He sees every, every message that Joe and I send back and forth about the conference. He sees it. Um, and he sort of acts as our floor manager that, you know, we wanted somebody that we knew we could trust that, um, was in a position to make decisions but that we also knew was familiar with the way Joe and I thought about different things. So he's, you know, he's not always in Slack, our Slack channel all the time, but he pops in and out and he's, 
at least sees some of the decision-making process that Joe and I goes th- go through. And he, he sees our reasoning for doing one thing and for not doing another. And because he's familiar with sort of what our reasoning is and what our intent for different uh, activities of the conference are and, you know, why it is we're doing what we're doing, he's in a better position to make a decision um, that doesn't really require Joe or my involvement. Um, there's a million things that happens that are, that happens at a conference. And, you know, Joe and I are spending a lot of our time just making sure that uh, speakers are prepped and ready to go on stage and stuff like that. And a lot of the behind the scenes things that involve food and drink and answering questions from other volunteers and not, sh- you know, maybe somebody's not sure about what exactly, where exactly they're supposed to meet for a dine around or what time something is supposed to happen. Um, because Tim has been involved in our Slack the whole time and he knows sort of the history of, of what's, what's happened and why things are happening. He's in a better position to make those decisions and answer those questions without those kind of things ever having to bubble up to the level of me and Joe at, at all. So that's really one of the ways that we've been managed to you know, sort of keep our heads at the conference is simply by triaging and making sure that uh, some of the, the less critical items never have to reach us to begin with because we have trusted lieutenants. I want to get in the weeds just for a minute. Um, a couple of things you had said was uh, you, you rely heavily on text files. Uh, are you a text edit guy? What, what do you use to edit and work on these text files? BB edit, 100%. If, if you can't do it in BB edit, it can't be done. <laughs> it's a, that makes sense. It's a, great, it's a great program. I'm sure that you guys, uh, if you're not using it yourself, you're at least familiar with it. But there's so much you can do with it. Um, you know, for a while, actually, that's an, it's interesting because for a while I was actually using two different text editors and I just recently changed. I was using BB edit for anything that um, resembled coding and I was using text wrangler for anything that resembled traditional just text files. And I'm not entirely sure why I did that for so long. Um, other than I'm, I had different preferences for different types of files and it wasn't until um, Rich Siegel announced actually on stage that um as he put it, Text Wrangler had reached its terminal version that was no longer going to be developed. That I was like, okay, I need a different solution here. And, and as it turned out, I didn't need Text Wrangler at all because BB Edit was smart enough to be able to give different preferences to text files versus C files versus JavaScript. And I could do everything I wanted just in one text editor. So I've been uh, ha- happily using BB Edit for every uh, all my text editing needs ever since, and it's worked out pretty well. One of my future goals for this show is to, to do a show on the use that normal people can have for regular expressions. I think that... Oh, that would be wonderful. A lot of people listening to the show are not programmers, uh, but regular expressions allow you to perform magic on words. And BB Edit is one of the best applications for using that stuff. And it's just the problem is how do I teach people how to do that with just words? It's not easy. Yeah. Well, you, you've started doing uh, some video blogging. That might be a good use for, for that. So you can put the syntax up on screen. But yeah, I agree. That would be a hard, hard, hard uh, nut to crack if you had to use just audio. But I'm guessing you're probably doing some of that stuff in BB Edit with all these lists you're making. Oh yeah. Um, actually, I am more prone to using if I if I have to use uh, 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 regular expressions, I'm more prone to actually drop into like VI or something like that, just because I used it for so long that it's the the syntax is sort of in, ingrained in my muscle memory. Um, but I I do uh, for a long time. My actual like job job was. Uh, working with Perl and doing a lot of regular expression work with there and, and manipulating files through uh, through scripts and and things like that. So I, I, I have a, a 
a long romance with the with the text line or with the the command line that uh, I I still go back to originally or sometimes just because it's it's so familiar and comfortable to me. Now, like another thing, PB Edit can do is can it's it's this is a simplification, but it can package text files together. I mean, are you and Joe doing any of those types of features? Or are you just keeping them as a separate individual files, presumably on Dropbox? No, we're keeping them as separate files, and this this gets back to my. Not prejudice, prejudices, but you know, hard hard learned lessons. That <laughs> um, I try to keep a lot of what I do at the simplest, lowest level possible. I mean, the reason I use text is because there are a million different programs that will manipulate text, and I know that I'm never going to be locked into any particular app. And you'll be able to read it in 20 years. Exactly. No exactly yeah. right. And I'm, I've found myself in the situation over the years where I've, you know, been locked out of text that I saved in a particular, uh, um, like word processor. There was, oh, I can't even remember the name of it now, but for a long time I was a, a Linux head and I used uh, Linux for everything. And there were some well supported commercial applications that I paid good money for. And so I had reasonable expectation that they were going to survive. And I would, you know, wrote a lot of documents in those. And after a while, you know, given enough versions, it disappears. I'm, I'm not able to access it. Uh, I mean, I'm even a little, you know, I, I basically boiled down to using three, three formats now for text. I used straight up text files. I will use uh, Microsoft Word documents simply because that's the de facto standard and uh, sort of a, as an exchange interchange format. And then the other one that I use a lot of is open document format in uh, LibreOffice and things like that. Um, because I have a lot of uh, history with that. And also, I mean, I have years in, before I was, before my current uh, incarnation of my career as a programmer and stuff, I was uh, actually a high school teacher for a while. And so I uh, didn't necessarily have the ability to afford super expensive uh, uh, office suites like Microsoft Word. And so I used uh, LibreOffice and I have uh, many years of lesson plans and and things like that, that, you know, and lots of other documents too that are sort of wrapped up in ODF format. But I at least have some uh, confidence I'm going to be able to continue to access them because one, there's open standard that's supported by the open source community. And also it's just XML, so I can always extract the text if I need to. Do you ever uh, use like Markdown or any of the uh, kind of text formatting languages out there? I do. I use Markdown extensively. Um, I have an app uh, called Metatax. This is sort of getting out of the the conference stuff, but a, a, it's an app called Mar- Metatax that serves as a um, a reference for tax repairs for like small mom and pop tax repairs. Lets them you know find information they need quickly and so they can answer their their clients' questions. And I have hundreds of thousands of lines of of content that's written in in uh markdown uh, hundreds of thousands i mean it's it's just ridiculous numbers of lines of of uh of text and it's all formatted in, in markdown with you know, headings and stuff like that and from markdown i'm actually able to use um pandoc to and some custom Perl scripts to sort of take that markdown which is my source content and reformat that in a variety of different ways so I, I have one script that will take that pandoc source or sorry that markdown source and format it for uh, uh, in, a, in a way that's can be used in WordPress really easily. I have another script that will um, pipe it through pandoc and outputs uh, documents that can be used in the iOS app companion app. Um, so it can be used there easily. And you know, my goal is that as I add new uh, 
uh, formats or new ways of viewing this information, I can always use that single markdown file as the core source and then just sort of generate out from that markdown whatever it is I need um, because it's so portable and and Pandoc is just amazing. You can do just about anything to markdown. So um, it's it's really flexible, really powerful. And so I'm, I'm totally sold on it. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, and that is the folks over at Agile Bits, maker of the amazing 1Password. Now, if you have not yet jumped on the 1Password bandwagon, first off, what are you waiting for? There is absolutely no better way to up your security game right now than to have strong, secure, unique passwords across all of your various websites and services. And the only way that I know how to do that without absolutely losing your mind is to use a password manager. And 1Password password is my password manager of choice. And personally, I think it's the best password manager out there. And there are a whole lot of reasons for that. But if you haven't gotten on the password manager bandwagon, there may never have been a better time to do so. First off, 1Password, because of their awesome new sync service, now offers a free 30-day trial. And you don't even have to give them a credit card. That's right. All the features of 1Password are now unlocked and available for you to experience during their 30-day free trial. And you don't have to pay for any of the 1Password apps separately if you subscribe to a 1Password subscription. That includes all of the 1Password apps and platforms. There's no license to keep track of. Just simply download the 1Password apps right from 1Password.com. Sign into all of your accounts and all of the upgrades are included for free in your 1Password subscription plan. But hey, you don't like subscriptions? That's okay. You can still download the standalone versions of 1Password.com. They still offer them. And you can buy a license that will enable you to get all the benefits of 1Password. You just need to bring your own sync service. You can sync things automatically with your computer. You can sync them through Dropbox. You can sync them through iCloud, whatever you want to do. And if you get on board, 1Password has just released version 6.5 for iOS and for macOS, and they brought several big improvements, including a better onboarding experience. So if you're brand new to 1Password, you're certainly going to appreciate that. And a brand new Apple Watch app. Yes, you can now take your passwords on your wrist with you. It takes full advantage of watchOS 3, which means it's going to run so much faster. It's easy to set up and move key items from any 1Password vault, including 1Password.com vaults, right to your wrist. And I use it a whole lot more, especially if I need to get a quick PIN number or a quick authorization code. Love it for, for quick, easy access items. You can learn more by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps and get a special offer for Mac Power users listeners. Thanks, OnePassword, for your longtime support of the show. All right. So uh, it sounds to me like you've got text figured out, but you said you're doing spreadsheets too. And I was thinking for a guy who likes plain text, what are you using for a spreadsheet to uh, to organize this stuff, but also make it useful for everybody else? And and hopefully give you some kind of future proofing. Well, I use a combination of two. I use Excel um, simply because that's what everybody uses. I also use uh, uh, Calc, which is part of the LibreOffice suite. I don't use numbers because I just have never been able to anything that I can do in numbers. I've, I've found that I can that you know Excel uh, in particular, but also Calc has a more powerful way of doing it. It's, it's, it may, it probably is possible. I'm probably, it's probably just my lack of knowledge about numbers, but it's, it's always seems like I'm fighting, uh, numbers to get anything done. So I use those other two tools instead. Um, but you know, I use it for all the typical things that you would use it for. I use it. I have pretty detailed budgets that I keep for conferences. I have, uh, I use it to, uh, you know, I, 
I can suck um, different reports out of like QuickBooks to give to my accountants. And, and uh, I use it for tracking uh, mileage for tax purposes and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, basically what it's used for. I don't, I don't use it for um, lists. I don't use it for like poor man databases, which I think a lot of people use it for, which is fine. Uh, it's just not one of the ways I, I typically use spreadsheets. I, I typically use spreadsheets for actually performing calculations. And if it's not a, if, if a calculation isn't being performed, it's probably either going in a text file or it's going in, um, you know, some other, uh, you know, some other type of, uh, of uh, format. If you're, I'd like to switch over to your business a little bit. Um, we've got a lot of software developers listening to the show, but we've also got people who are just running small businesses. And just like, uh, you know, over at Release Notes, we're not going to talk about how you're coding, at least yet. <laughs> but, I, but I want to talk a little bit about all the other stuff. I mean, you, you said you had a J-O-B job for a while, but not anymore. Uh, you, you run your own business now. Um, what are the parts of that that you didn't expect and how are you handling that stuff? This is not really related to uh, to the workflow stuff, but actually some of the biggest obstacles have been social, um, not not having as people in office to go into and, you know, a water cooler to gather, water cooler to gather around. And so in lots of ways, I've had to uh, find other sort of um, outlets for that. You know? And some of that is actual in-person stuff uh, with some of the other developers around here. Uh, but some of it happens in Slack. Some, a lot of it happens on Twitter. Um just sort of, you know, stepping away from the, the code and taking a break and, you know, chatting with people online about, you know, you know, whatever is on your mind so that you can sort of, you know, regain focus and go back to work. So you work primarily out of a home office? Yes, out of my home office. Yeah, it's a, it's a bedroom converted into an office. Uh, so I got my microphone, standing desk, dual displays, uh, Mac Pro or not, uh, MacBook Pro. And then, yeah. The typical geek setup. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it works. It works well for me. I think if you want to go to the next level, you need the um, was it the standing treadmill? <laughs> I've got that. List. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, the treadmill desk works out really well. I, that was one of the things that uh, I started using a couple of years ago. And the um, I, I actually I I had tried the standing desk for a while, and, and by itself is works pretty well. But what I found is that uh, your feet hurt after a while. Surprisingly enough, I, I know shocker, huh? Um, but the, the what I found is with the treadmill desk that you're actually I am able to stay standing longer that um, because of the pressure is being applied to different parts of the of the foot as you walk that it doesn't I don't I guess in the, if you compare them to tires they don't wear they wear more evenly I guess I don't know but <laughs> it uh it it's uh, I found that I'm able by sort of alternating between walking and standing and get through pretty much a full day and and get stuff done. Do you have a particular model? People just like us to put those kinds of things. If you know. I, let me step down and look. Um, or wait, are you walking right now on your treadmill? No, I'm not walking. Okay. I turned it off because I was. I knew I was going to be recording. All right. I was going to be really impressed. A, a lifespan. I got to go look at the other side one second. This, this is how podcasts are made, folks. TR-1200. <laughs> so there you go. TR Lifespan TR-1200. It works pretty well. I've been very happy with it. Um the the rails i guess on the side the they're beta plastic and they have cracked a little bit um you can fix that i guess by getting the metal rails but you have to go up one model and that costs i think a lot more money so i just live with my broken plastic rails <laughs> yeah this doesn't look too bad it, it's it's like it's looks like it's between depending on the model that you get between like 
eight and fourteen hundred on on Amazon. Oh, it's a uh, it's the deal of the day today. Nine ninety nine. Oh, there you go on a uh, on Amazon. Go. But this this podcast is time delayed. So sorry, folks. It's not the deal of the day <laughs> when when you're listening to them. But you're all, I was you know one of the things I was impressed with talking to you about is you are truly running your own shop. Like you're your own marketing department, and um, yeah, and, and uh, you're your own customer support department and like all this stuff that that doesn't involve writing code um how are you pulling all that stuff off well some days i do and some days i don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. um you know, you're right i mean really i do i wear lots of different hats uh i i pretty consistently farm out design work to uh, designers um simply because i know that's not one of my strengths um but a lot of the other stuff i do myself um as for support i am Always in email. I mean, I use, I have dual displays, but I also have multiple workspaces. And one of my workspaces is just sort of communication stuff. So I have Slack in one window. I have email in another. Um, I might have some reference material open as well. Um, but email is always open. And I sort of make it a point of pride that I get back to any customer that contacts me within one business day. It used to be 24 hours until I realized it was just ridiculous. I needed my weekends to myself. So now I've sort of fudged a little bit and say one business day. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of that, it can be not automated away, but it can be made um, much easier to deal with. Just because a lot of the a lot of people sort of write in with the same sorts of comments and questions and, and things like that, um, I found I found that if you get a lot of people that are asking uh, the same question, that's probably a hint that there's something in your app you need to fix or need to take another look at. And so you can sort of optimize that away maybe by uh, improving your, your software. But some things just can't be. And there's always going to be people who have questions about how do I cancel my auto-renewing subscription on uh, on my iPhone, for instance. And that's not really something that... I can fix because that's something Apple has to do. Um, and so for all those kind of cases, I, I find that if it's something that I basically have sort of two, two broad rules. The first, the first one is that if I, if I find myself answering the same question a third time, I do it really, really well. And then I save it. Text expander is your friend. Yeah. And I don't actually use text expander, but the same idea is that I just have a, a directory of, of text files um, that are sort of, stock stock answers to a lot of the, the questions that I'll get on a, a standard basis. Um, and, and the reason for that is, I mean, some of them aren't just text. Some of them are illustrated with, with uh, marked up images and things like that. Um, the other one, the other sort of rule is that if it's, even if I haven't seen this question three times, if it requires me to really go in and for instance, do uh, annotated screen ca- screenshots and things like that, I'm definitely saving that because I don't ever want to have to do that again, at least not until the next version of iOS comes out. And so all those types of of answers go into uh, my support directory as well. And I keep one of those support directories for every product that I have. Um, And I find that most of the time, um, most of the questions can be sort of uh, answered through through using those text files. And it's sort of nice by keeping... The other reason I sort of like text is because so many apps let you... um, We'll, we'll deal with, with just plain text. And so I can answer those questions, whether I'm at my desk or I can you know, answer them from uh, while I'm on the go. If I have a few minutes, I can pull it up on my iPhone. I, can, I actually, there's probably a better way of doing this. I need to look into this a little bit more, but uh, one, of my, one of the things I do is I open up the Crash Plan app and it's the backup software I use. And if I open up, I can actually just go in and look at that directory and then restore the file that I know I need suck out the text, paste it into an email there in, in, uh, 
into uh, the iPhone email app. And yeah, I have, I have a quick answer for a user that would have otherwise had to wait till I get home. So that works pretty well too. Do you, do you store the, the support text in, in Dropbox or do you just keep it on the, the, on the uh, mobile, I'm sorry, on the local drive? I keep it all on the local drive. I used to keep everything in Dropbox, um, but I found that I didn't really need it because I only have the one laptop. Back, I mentioned that I was a, a high school teacher for a while, and for a while I was teaching uh, as my job job while I had my development stuff going on at home, and so I had two different laptops. And when I did that, I actually did have Dropbox that I used extensively because I was synchronizing between the, the two different uh, laptops. Um, but now it's just, just the one laptop. So I don't really need to synchronize too much other than, um, for instance, specific things like all my release notes stuff gets synced to Joe and stuff. But the stuff that's just mine, I just keep it on my, on my laptop and then back it up five ways to Sunday. So I know, uh, you and I had a conversation once where you told me that you're a checklist guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a list guy. What, what do you mean by that? I, I have, I have lists. I, Joe makes fun of me because I actually have a, I, in one of our release notes folder, I have a directory of lists and in that directory is a list of lists that I still have to make. <laughs> so I just got all kinds of uh, stuff in there. Anytime that I, uh, let me, let me take a quick peek here and, and the conference. Oops. I'll go to the first year and list directory. And so like, I've got a list of audio visual equipment that I've got to, um, I, I've got to look into. I've got a checklist for uh, AV equipment for setting up. I have a, a checklist of um, non-AV equipment that I've got to make sure ends up at a at the venue. I've got different ideas for business opportunities. I've got a um, list of the different slides that I need Joe to make for intermission. I've got... Um, checklist for speaker rehearsals so I can make sure that all the speakers are hitting all the different things that need to be done. I've got lists for, you know, what, what I need to talk about at the speaker's dinner to make sure that I'm imparting the information that they need in order to feel comfortable. Um, lists for staff communication and when that's going to happen and what's going to be said during what different dates and it just goes on and on and on. And, And it's just sort of the way I live is that I, if I, if I'm sitting down and thinking about something for the future, I'm going to document. I, I do my best to document everything because I know my memory is not that good. I'm going to forget something if I don't write it down. You know, some people have mentioned uh, before that, you know, if, if you, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. And sometimes I feel that that way about just the things that I think about myself, that if I don't get it committed in some sort of writing, whether that's actually on paper or whether that is uh, in a text document or, you know, some other, some other document that I'm definitely going to forget it. And, you know, I work that way with my commitments too, that, you know, if it doesn't end up in my calendar, it's not going to happen. And you know, that's just the way it works. I don't know. There's a good book called the, the Checklist Manifesto it came out a few years ago. I'm not usually a big fan of productivity books. I mean, sometimes they just seem goofy to me. It's like, 10 minutes worth of content shoved in five hours, <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but the checklist manifesto actually really did have an impact. And, and I, I struggle with this too, because I work really well with checklists. It's a great way. Cause I, I get distracted easily and checklists are a way for me to kind of keep myself in check. And, um, and so, 
So Charles does them with text files, which is a good way to do it. You can also do them like even in Apple Notes. It's got those check boxes now. You could make one. I would, if you're interested in doing it there, I would make one and then make it like a master checklist. Like if it's a, like something as simple as before I podcast, I have a checklist of things I do. I I go and I make sure the kids are not on Netflix. I, um, you know, I turn off the volume on all my devices, you know, all these little, it's dumb, but if I don't do them, I'll forget and something will go wrong. And Katie Floyd, she, the wrath will come for me, right? <laughs> um, so, so that you can do it in notes. You can do it in uh, OmniFocus with project templates. I do that for a lot of the legal stuff. I have templates. Um, but boy, if, if you're out there and you're, th- and you're thinking checklists might work for you, I strongly recommend you try it. And there's a bunch of digital tools you can do it in now. Uh, even Apple uh, Reminders can work for checklists. If you just create one called Checklists, a group called Checklists. The trick, though, if you do that is once again, duplicate it. You don't want to have to check them all off and then go recreate it again. You want to be able to just dupe it. Like I have one for for um, taking a trip. I have a checklist, you know, and um, so whatever it is you're doing, I would recommend giving that a shot. Is that something in your uh, in your field, Katie? Or are you not a checklist person? Uh no, I mean, I, I have checklists like in, in OmniFocus and in reminders and things like that. But um, no, I don't I don't do a ton of checklists. But one of the questions that I had for Charles is it, it sounds like, you know, kind of opposite of, of having these systems like David and I have and that we've talked to with other people. I, I'm hearing that everything primarily that you do is is plain text and files and folders. Uh, and, and And if I'm wrong, please, please let me know. But. Um, you know, it sounds like you don't really have a true dedicated task management system, you know, is, is a, like an, an app that does that and, and those types of things. So I'm real curious, uh, how are you organizing all of this? I mean, do you have a specific uh, files and, and folders and organization method? I mean, that would be one thing that I would be concerned about is how do I know what's where and, and how is everything organized? I have tried different organization methods over the years. I, for a while, was a, a big... Um, devotee of, of getting things done, GTD. And uh, actually my very first iOS app was a GTD app. Um, I've, I, I use that for a long time and I, I since have sort of drifted away from it. I found that I'm, well, I, I should, I should preface this by saying that I'm a big believer that people should do whatever works for them. Right. And I found that one of the things that works best for me is getting away from, um, the, the structured, uh, sort of, you know, things to do and, you know, the, the specific list that they had and, um, instead use sort of calendar based stuff. I'm sort of date date driven. And so I know that if I have an event, it's got to go on my calendar. Um, I, as far as, you know, organizing the, the files themselves, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's, I've got things broken down by, um, uh, different topics. I've got a miscellaneous folder that that contains a lot of my stuff. I've got one folder for each of my businesses and, and inside of there, I've got um, different sort of job jobs that need to be done. So looking inside of my, my Medikite software folder right now, I've got um, you know, app store download records. I've got one for business cards. I got one for different certificates that I, I've gotten um, particularly like electronic certificates used for uh, distributing software. I've got a folder for finances. I've got a folder for legal. I've got a folder for logos. I've got a folder for marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I sort of break it down um, by task, I guess. Um, and you, by doing that, I don't, I, I don't really lose things just because it's, I know where, I know we're supposed to, supposed to go. Um, you're right that I, I don't use 
you know, a particular app for a lot of those things. And I, I'm, I mentioned before that I try to keep things as simple as I can because, you know, different formats and apps go out of, out of fashion and you know, some in my experience have disappeared. Um, but text gives you a lot of, gives me at least a lot of flexibility. And I think part of that, part of the reason why I use text so much is because, um, is because of my, my background with, with different scripting and stuff. I can, I can work all kinds of magic with, uh, a couple lines of Perl code and pull out just the, the stuff I need or reformat text in a way that's, that's better or different. And I recognize that that is not going to be a solution for a lot of people. Probably most of the listeners up here or most of the listeners to this podcast may not even know what Perl is. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's a programming language for those who don't know, but, uh, it's something that I'm really good with that I'm really familiar with. And I'm really, and most importantly, I'm very comfortable with. And I think because of that, uh, it gives me the ability to, or I should say the ability to, but that probably informs the way that I look at some of these types of things is in that it's the most flexible format that I can imagine for storing some of this data. Um, I am not constrained to what um, a particular spreadsheet can do or the formatting that's available to me in this app or that app. Instead, I can um, format things the way I want and I can use Markdown to, um, you know, sort of track the styles that I, I want to attach to different parts of a document and things like that. It's a little quirky. It's a little geeky. It's, uh, it's very programmer-ish I, and probably not for most people, but it works for me. Well, you know, that's the point of our show is that every there's so many different options and, and the technology gives everybody the options. So we want to hear from folks that do things differently than us. And uh, and that's one. And I, I, I want to throw in one more thing there, I guess, with this. I mean, and that's because that's um, one of the, one of the things that I try really hard is not to get sucked into. Oh, there's some other better way of doing it. I've got to do I've got to go find that better way and then you know, go down that rabbit hole and then three days later you come up and you found a, a solution that's, you know, incrementally better by maybe like three percent or something like that. You know, I I Well, well now I you're have, in my wheelhouse, Charles. I know. <laughs> See, that, but I am <laughs> exactly the same way. I have I I know myself well enough to know that that is a rabbit hole I will dive into every single time. And that's I mean, that's it's it is if you do that enough, you end up with very powerful systems. There's no arguing about that. My problem is I get I get sucked into that, and all of a sudden I realize that three days have gone by, and I haven't been doing what I really need to do. Instead, I've been finding a better way to organize my my to dos or something like that. Um, if something is if 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 my system is broken, I definitely need it to, to work. But I've reached a point with um, sort of my my system, such as it is, that it works well enough, and. I sort of consciously avoid diving into, you know, what's re- been referred to as productivity porn over the years, because you can find ways of, of doing something better. And all the time, you're just sort of spinning your wheels and um, not getting done what needs to be done. Now, if if you do find a way that break, sort of breaks into that more power to you, I just know myself well enough that I will dive into there and I I won't come up for air, come up for air for days. So I try to avoid some of that as much as I can. Yeah. I, I, I'm the guy organizing the uh, chairs on the desk of the deck of the Titanic. As it goes down. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the, the good news is for the listeners is I, when they do actually work, I'll share them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you at least have an outlet that's productive at the end. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily talk about all of my abomination failed experiments, but <laughs> try them. <laughs>
This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by Daylight. Daylight is a business productivity app for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. It's designed to help you win more business and get more done. Running a small business can be chaos. You've got customers to follow up with and deals to close, projects to complete, meetings to schedule. There's a million things to do, and it's difficult. At least it's difficult up until the point you start using Daylight. Daylight helps you manage your customers and sales opportunities, projects, schedules, emails, and more, all in one application. It takes all that chaos and makes it clean and organized. Put simply, Daylight takes all the headache and the chaos out of things so you can get back to work. Lawyers often refer to Daylight as their customer service tool because it keeps them organized and this helps them provide a better customer experience. Using Daylight, you can link every client email, meeting note, call note, and task all linked through one system. So when a client calls to get an update on their matter and the attorney's not available, another staff member can look up the case in Daylight and let the client know where it is and what the next steps are. Put simply, the staff can give answers to the client, and that makes the client happy and improves the overall experience. It also helps stop wasting attorney time to answer general questions. It's a win-win. But Daylight's not just used for lawyers. It's used by anybody that works with clients and manages leads. Uh, we've heard from design agencies, photographers, real estate agents, and consulting firms, all who are using Daylight to run their business. Overall, Daylight helps businesses save time and increase efficiency. The result is they can manage more clients and grow their business. New in Daylight 6.1 is support for multitasking on the iPad, which is super helpful. Now you can have Daylight and Apple Mail open at the same time so you can check your meeting notes while writing up a follow-up email. I really love having Daylight as a sponsor to help show the way to people who need these tools. And I also like hearing from the Daylight users in the audience because I know there's a lot of you. So let us know your interesting Daylight story. And if you're interested, head over to marketcircle.com slash daylight to start a free 30-day trial. And don't forget to mention you heard about Daylight through Mac Power users to get 50% off your first month subscription. Thanks, Daylight, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. Okay, so we've been talking about your business. We haven't really talked much about your coding. Um, uh, so your your company's Medikite Software, and, and you make apps. Um, I do, yeah. Um, uh, but you were also a high school teacher. Now, did you did you self teach yourself programming, or or how did you be, go from being a high school teacher to an, a successful app businessman and programmer? You've got to go back one more layer because this, this is, I think, the third career I've had since uh, I started dating my wife. So okay. <laughs> she's very tolerant. She is very tolerant. I'm very lucky to have to have her uh, um, to put up with my quirks and to be as supportive of me as she is. But um, I actually started. I graduated with a degree in computer science, so computers are definitely in my wheelhouse. Um, back in my high school days, I actually started off, and as I think a lot of students do, sort of looking for the right way to what they want to do with their life. And I know I like to work with kids, and so teaching was one of the things that popped on my radar. Uh, as it turned out, I discovered that I was. Uh, really pretty good with uh, computers and in particular with sort of the the logical sequential thinking that's required for programming. And so I ended up with a degree in computer science. And once I graduated, I got a, got a job that sort of exercised that degree. I did um, a little bit of everything, everything doing um, support, doing specking out hardware. I was a system administrator. I um, did training. So I got to uh, do a little bit of education that way. Um, I managed a, an, a, an in-house homegrown 
standalone software configuration management tool, which uh, is something that you only do if you are uh, a Fortune 100 company and have the resources to do that. Um, so I, I did that, but I knew almost immediately once I took that job that I was not cut out for the corporate world. It was just something that temperamentally I was not I was not going to do well with. Um, so I knew pretty quickly that was not the right job for me. Unfortunately, they, they paid really, really well for a kid that was fresh out of school with student, student loans that had to be paid off. So I suffered through that for about nine years. And um, after, you know, finally after nine years of this, I was like, you know what, something's got to give. This is not for me. I've got to go do something else. And so I went back and I actually got my, I, I used some of the math that I had to, uh, um, taken college in order to get my computer science degree. And I went back and got, a uh, my teaching license. So I taught high school math for, uh, for six years. And I did that for six years. I absolutely loved it. Um, if I, you know, if, if, <laughs> if Apple hadn't released the iPhone when it did, I probably would still be teaching and, and happily so. Um, but Apple did release the iPhone and that was, uh, and you know, Obviously, a really interesting time because actually, I think today is the the 10th anniversary as we as we record this of, yeah. of yes. uh, the iPhone being re- announced on stage. So, so not the um, 10th year of the app development kit. Oh, is that what it, that what it was? Okay, it's yeah, not. It's, it's yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that was yeah, a year later. That was a year yeah. later. Um, but as a uh, you know, when when that came out, um, I think I got the 3G. So I got I got it a year later. Um, but I was looking for something technical to do to sort of keep my technical chops up because I was, I wasn't programming every day at that point. I was busy making lesson plans and, um, you know, I was doing programming, but I was programming children's minds rather than actual computers and stuff. So I was looking for something to do. And this was a a pretty good, uh, seemed like a pretty good outlet. It was an interesting type of, uh, you know, technology. And at that time, that was about the time that I was really into GTD and stuff. And so I was looking for a GTD app, and I couldn't really find one that did what I wanted it to do. And so I, being the programmer that I am, said, I can do that. <laughs> and so I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, about when I, when I created the app, I was like, yeah, I'll throw it up in the app store and just see if people want it. Uh, my goal, my whole goal was to eventually make back the $99, uh, entry fee for joining the app developer program. And I threw it up there. And sure enough, I wasn't the only person who was looking for a good GTD app. Um, people started buying it and it sort of grew. And um, I made a couple other products that uh, sort of related, but sort of not. And people bought those and eventually came to the point where I was making pretty good money from the, I was actually making more money from the, from the app development than I was from teaching. And I had to make a decision. I could either teach as well as I wanted to, or I could um, develop my products the way I wanted to. And it seemed like a really sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity to sort of uh, take a leap and start my own business. And so that's what I did. It's tough though, when you're like, you've got some years in there towards tenure and you've got benefits and it's like, okay, here I go. Yeah, definitely. Especially if I had, you know, when people ask me how to get started with your own business now, you know, I tell them, you know, put out a product and see if people will buy it. And then when you, as you, people start buying your product, don't spend any of it, save it, you know, and that becomes your runway then for when you finally do leave your job, you've got some, some runway so you can keep operating and pay your bills in case everything goes to pot. I, however, was not planning to go <laughs> to leave my job. And so I was spending all that money. And so when I finally did leave that job, all of a sudden my income got cut in half and that was very, very painful. <laughs> pretty exciting few months i'm sure <laughs> yeah it was very exciting times it was it was a um 
exciting and terrifying both, but you know, in the end it's been, it's been very rewarding to uh, own my own business and really be, you know, in sort of in charge of your, your own destiny. If you do well, congratulations, it's your fault. If you go under, congratulations, it's still your fault. Um, but being sort of having the, the luxury of being able to, uh, um, you know, do what I need to do and make decisions and take time off and, and, take care of family obligations without having to worry about, you know, punching a time clock or something like that. Uh, it's been very fulfilling. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It was, it was a good decision. Yeah. I, I had some involvement with app camp for girls. Cause we, my wife kind of ran the one they did in Orange County last year. And, um, and I also do some volunteer technology stuff with the local public schools. And some of the teachers have told me these stories where it's actually becoming a problem where the, some teachers are learning to code for the purpose of teaching it. Like there was a high school teacher locally who was going to teach it and then realized that they could make significantly more money with the skills they had put together to teach the subject. And then they, they stopped being teachers and that is not an uncommon occurrence. Yeah. It's uh, sort of a sad state of affairs we have in public education as far as you know, what we pay teachers and stuff, but that's probably a topic for another show. <laughs> I could go on for weeks on that one. <laughs> Well, every time we have someone on a, a programmer, a successful programmer on, uh, there's a segment of our audience that's always interested in, in picking up some programming chops. Uh, any recommendations for somebody who wants to start learning some of this stuff these days? Where would you go? You know, that's hard for me to answer because, you know, when I started learning it, I mean, well, when I started learning iOS development in particular was at the very beginning and there weren't as many resources that were available. You know, I, I like, I think a lot of developers that, that uh, started developing soon after the the iPhone software development kit uh, was released. Learned from the A Press book um, that sort of Jeff uh, Jeff Lamarche and I think is Dave Mark is that the other person the other author um, that they put out and it was you know, a great resource. Um, I that I don't think that book really exists anymore though. I I personally am a, a I learn best from I don't learn very well from videos. I learn better from uh, reading something, whether that's a book or a blog post or something like that. And so I, I tend to gravitate towards those sorts of resources. Um, and so I, I think if I were to start today, I would probably look at uh, the Big Nerd Ranch books and they have a lot of good resources there and pretty much anything they put out is like primo stuff. So that'd probably be one of the first places I look. If you are the sort of person who does learn better through lecture, through uh, video, um, I, I think Stanford courses are still online and uh, are available to sort of, they've recorded a lot of their lectures and talk about um, iOS development in particular, but then I think they also cover a lot of the um, more generic programming topics that apply to any platform, whether that be mobile or desktop or mini computer or whatever. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, I think you can get a lot of resources from them as well. Uh, now, this next question, we could literally have a 10-hour answer to it. <laughs> <So, laughs> I will try, try, try to hold back. Uh, so I, and I want to just, just a short version. Maybe someday we'll have you back. In 30 it's, seconds or less. <laughs> um, there's a lot of controversy these days about whether or not it makes sense to get into the app development business. If somebody out there is thinking about it, you know, what's your opinion today? That that is actually right up my wheelhouse. There's, we have a whole podcast on that topic. Yeah, I, I guess the answer would be go listen to uh, the release notes. Well, I mean, the short version is yes. There's a lot of money to be made in app development, but only if you do it right. And I, well, I shouldn't say only because any 
anybody can get lucky and get and end up with a product that people are going to pay for. There are lots of of uh, products out there that you know, people are successful with that I would not have predicted would be successful. One of the things that we talk about that I try to talk about at least on the podcast is that if you're trying to get into um, app development as a, as a business and sell your own products, do don't get too in love with whatever your pet project is. Instead, really start with the market and decide, you know, who it, who is it that you want to sell software to? You know, why are they going to pay for software when everybody else won't? You know, what problem is it that you're solving that they're going to be willing to pay for? And I think if you start at it from sort of a bottom-up mentality, you stand a lot better chance of being able to find a product that people will actually pay for and that uh, and finding a product that has a, a, the best chance of supporting you and your family. Our next sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at the Omni Group. And I want to talk a little bit today about Omni Outliner. If you're like me and you're one of those left brain people and your mind just thinks and works in the world of outline, then you're going to want to check out Omni Outliner. And Omni Outliner is the premier tool for Mac and iOS for outlining. It can store and collect all kinds of information about just about anything. You can get started using their built-in themes. And they've got a couple of different ones that you want to outline for a classroom, if you want to outline for a novel if you've got a special project in mind. And Omni Outliner is feature rich and flexible. You can use it for any number of tasks from creating simple lists to outlining a speech to taking class notes or even writing a novel. You can start with a simple outline and then quickly add structure from there to beef up your outlines and go deeper. You can expand and collapse whatever you information you need so it's not so overwhelming and you can just dig in and focus on a very specific portion of your outline. And everything is accessible through keyboard shortcuts. So once you take the time to learn those keyboard shortcuts in Omni Outliner, you can really fly through it. And you can add more information to your outline by pulling in attachments and recordings and PDFs and more. You can even record audio while you take notes with an Omni Outliner for your future reference. Once you've got all this great information in Omni Outliner, you can share out your outlines by exporting it into a variety of formats. And all of this information can sync across any Mac or iOS device using OmniPresence. It's Omni Outliner's free and reliable open source tool. So your files are always intact and available. And they'll be waiting for you because Omni uses background app refresh. Uh, so you don't have to worry about going and making sure that everything is up to date. So there are two versions. There's a basic version and then there's the pro version that brings some additional features and export formats, including things like Apple script support, advanced style control, and more. So if you want to check it out, I encourage you to try it and try both versions before you buy to make sure that you're getting the one that's right for you. Uh, Omni gives a two-week free trial of their programs, and you can go and download them by visiting omnigroup.com. And if for any reason you're not satisfied, they've got a 30-day money-back guarantee on all of their applications. And if you're a student or if you've already got a version of the Omni Group's applications, make sure you check out the They've got upgrade and educational pricing available. So go check out Omni Outliner and all of the great applications from our pals over at the Omni Group. And thanks, Omni, for your kind support of Mac Power users. All right. So, Charles, we know that clearly your favorite apps are the ones that you develop. But if we if we took those off the table, um, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, the apps on iOS uh, or, or Mac. I guess it could be either because you you do use a, a Mac for development. But but what are some of your your favorite apps that maybe we haven't had an opportunity to discuss yet? Because everybody likes to leave these shows with with little tidbits of things they need to check out. 
Well, we've talked about some of the ones that I'm that I use a lot, um, like on the Mac and stuff. I use we, we talked about BB Edit and Slack and, and things like that. Um, one of the ones that I use on Mac, and this is going back to um, back to sort of Markdown text, is Mark Two by Brent Terpstra. I'm, I'm sorry, we now have to stop and take a drink. If you've never, Every time. if you've never listened Every to time. our show, the name of Brett is invoked. Everybody drinks. <laughs> I didn't know about that tradition. I would have, I would have uh, named him earlier. Um, but yeah, he. I mean, obviously, he's a you know a really smart guy, and that that app in particular is a. Uh, I find a great way to sort of preview um, what my markdown is going to look like. It's not. I don't use it actually to actually generate the files in particular once they go into, into meta tags, but I do use them to preview so that I can make sure things look right. And then I do the final processing with, uh, with Pandoc, which is a command line program. Um, so I use, I use the heck out of that one all the time. Um, Slack and BB edit. We've already talked about BB edit is probably worth a, a, an extra mention just because it is, it will do everything. Um, I haven't found anything that it can do with text yet. Um, Airmail, I use a lot of. Uh, I don't use the built-in mail program, um, and I can't remember why. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I you don't really need a reason. reason. <laughs> There's so many. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I stopped using it because it wouldn't do something that I wanted, or it was doing something I didn't like, and I can't really remember why. But I discovered Airmail, and it was a. It's been a, a great, uh, great product for me, and I've been a happy user for years now. Now, do you use it across all platforms? No, I don't. I still use iOS mail and built-in mail app. Um, mostly because I haven't found a reason not to use it yet. Um, but it's, it's behaved pretty well for me. Um, on iOS, one thing that I use a lot, I mentioned before was crash plan because, because I am so into text files, I, it's really easy for me to pull up the text file that I need to sort of reference. Uh, if I, if I want to you know, sort of get access to some of that information on my, on my cell phone. Um, one that I've started using more recently, I've, I'm actually uh, um, more recently been getting into a lot of uh, managing of uh, like VP, VPS virtual private servers. And so I can run my own web servers and, and do other kinds of things but that I need a server access to. And so I've been using uh, SSHing into um, those servers a lot to check memory usage and restart processes and all the kinds of stuff you do on a server. And I uh, discovered that I one time when I was on the go that I needed to quickly get in and monitor something, um, monitor actually monitor the monitor the memory usage of one of the uh, things I'd been fiddling with before I left home, and I wanted to sort of keep an eye on it. And I d- rediscovered I I shouldn't say discovered because I knew about it before, but I uh, downloaded Prompt by Panic. I think it's actually Prompt Two. I think is what it is on the App Store, but that is just an outstanding app for. Um, you know, basically, basically SSHing, log, logging into other machines and getting stuff done on the command line. That's a terribly geeky thing that um, most people are not going to have a use for. But if you find yourself in a position where you need something like that, I strongly, I, I give my highest recommendation. You can do all kinds of stuff with that. It's, it seems like on iOS and frankly on Mac too, anything Panic makes, they're usually best in class. Yeah, and- they really are. Um, they, they do all kinds of, they, they, they have transport as well, which is another great, if you need an FTP client, that's a, a great one to use. Um, Trans- transmit. Yeah, transmit, transmit, you're right. Sorry. It's even more remarkable on iOS because it's on iOS with all these limitations Apple put in, they still manage to make a really good <laughs> FTP app. Yeah. It's uh, everything they do is sort of amazing. Um, 
You know, as far as those are the ones I use on a, a regular basis. I use a lot of the regular ones just for communication. I use Tweetbot a lot. It's my favorite Twitter client. Um, an app that I discovered recently for weather. I actually, I should, I should. We talked earlier about my my penchant for sort of diving into a rabbit hole and then coming up a couple of days later for air once I find a problem that needs to be solved. And I recently ran into that situation with my weather app because. Uh oh. Yeah, I know. Oh gosh, that was it was. It was a big rabbit hole. Let me tell you, it went deep. Um, the problem I ran into is that the the weather app I had used previously and been ha- had been happily using, I found a limitation that I really needed a solution for, and that was the the person who wrote it. While he did a much, he lives. I should say he lives in southern southern U.S. and I know the guy personally. He's a great guy. Um, and he did better, a better job of writing a weather app than I think Apple did. But his whole tagline was, you know, basically it's a weather app for places that actually have weather, unlike California. That's the, you know, sort of the stereotype. And he did that. But to sort of turn that on his head, it's obvious they don't get much snow down there. <laughs> because uh, one of the problems I ran into is that, you know, it the app did a great job of telling me whether it was going to snow. The problem they didn't tell me is how much snow I was going to get. And there is a world of difference between an inch of snow Four inches of snow, six inches of snow, <laughs> 12 inches of snow. The amount of snow you get is a critical piece of information, and it was a piece that this was lacking. So I, I actually I decided I was going to dive into that rabbit hole and look for a new uh, weather app, one that gave a bit of a forecast as well. Um, wait, wait I, I'm not really sure what you're talking What is the snow you're talking about? Oh, go enjoy the sunshine more. It's January here. We get snow in Indiana. <laughs> it's frozen precipitation from the sky. It's scary. Oh, but so the the root problem was I didn't I needed a forecast of some kind, and so I dove in, and over twenty four hours I probably downloaded and tested at least twelve different weather apps, and I was looking for something that gave some sort of forecast was still nicely uh, had some design to it, cleanly presented the information so it was glanceable, and ideally it would have radar because you know we get tornadoes in Indiana and. It's a big deal when those happen. You want to know where they are and what direction they're going. So I was looking for, I had very specific criteria that I was looking for. And unfortunately, as far as I can tell, nothing fits my criteria. So you made it yourself, right? Oh, that was, I was so close to doing that. I was, I actually <laughs> talked on Twitter. It's like, I am so close to just writing my own, my own weather app, but that is just madness. There's no reason for me to do this. So I broke down and I got two apps. So I ended up using, um, Weatherline. Uh, which is a fantastic weather app and it's got got pretty much everything I want. Um, The one thing it does not have is uh, like radar. So I can't look and see like whether the the storm is to the Southwest of me or whether I need to duck and cover or whatever, whatever else. So the other app that I got was uh, NOAA radar in OAA, you know, like the national oceanic and atmospheric administration, maybe. Um, but that did a really nice job of presenting. It does a lot of other stuff too, but it's, its main thing is that it presents a weather radar, which is really what I wanted for. I pretty much ignore the the other features of it that act like um, every other weather app that's out there and use it strictly for the for the radar. And I, I keep a... Uh, I keep bothering the developer of Weatherline, begging him for uh, a radar integration. He says it might come someday, but it's not here yet. And so I will, I will happily delete Noah Radar once it's integrated in. But the combination of those two apps have done a pretty good job of uh, helping me uh, get the the weather information I need in order to to know whether I can 
avoid whether I should avoid the roads that on any particular day or not. So as a fan of apps in general, I have to say that weather apps are like the playground of user interface design. <laughs> it feels <Yes>. like everybody, <laughs> cause the most, you know, what's the temperature is going to be common data, no matter where you're pulling it from. Yeah. I was speaking as a Southern Californian, you know, right. So, <laughs> uh, but the, uh, but everybody's got these different ways to display it. And some of them are fun and innovative and some of them are just a hot mess. And it's kind of fun just seeing the different approaches people take. Yeah. Uh, Marco Arment, who's a, if your listeners aren't familiar. Sure. Marco has been a guest. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's a, a blogger and a, and a podcaster and he's fond of saying that uh, there is infinite profit potential in, in to do apps because everybody has a different way of, of that they want to do it. And so you're always going to find somebody who's going to buy your little niche app because it's going to, it's going to meet the needs of somebody. There's going to be somebody out there who needs your app. And I'm convinced that weather apps are the same way. There's somebody out there who's looking for exactly the particular niche uh, information that you've decided to present. The trick is just finding, uh, finding the right ones and convincing enough people that they want uh, the information presented that way. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of variability, a lot of uh, possibilities in, in weather apps and there's dozens and dozens and dozens out there. Well, Charles Perry, I am so happy you came on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Um, uh, for our uh, programming friends listening out there, I strongly would recommend checking out the Release Notes conference and the Release Notes podcast. We'll put links in the show notes. And for the rest of the gang, uh, go ahead and check out Charles' apps. He's at metakite.com, M-E-T-A-K-I-T-E. Um, uh, and you're on Twitter too, Charles. What's your Twitter handle? I am. I'm Dazen, D-A-Z-E-E-N-D. Two E's there. Don't, That's don't right. miss the second E. And uh, Katie, where can you find us? Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about at uh, relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, well, you can also find the show on Twitter. We're at Mac Power Users, or I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Mike Sparky. Thanks a lot to our sponsors. That would be Ministry of Supply, 1Password, Market Circle, and the Omni Group. And we'll see you all next week. Music.